Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Basor, and today... Very excited to have on Tim Adams from Maynard, one of the top accounting firms in the area, region, and, and all over the country. So, Tim, Tim, thanks for being on today. Thank you very much. Great, great to have you. Happy you guys have me. All right, cool, cool. As always, my two co-hosts, Kevin, uh, True Cannabis. Kevin, what's shaking today? Oh, not much, man. Trying to beat the heat. It's kind of warm down here today. <laughs> I hate to be complaining, but... You know, uh, finally some nice weather, so I'm, I'm not complaining at all. It's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say we got the AC kicking in here, so uh, uh, my office is somehow always the hottest. And uh, Tom, all right, let's hear what's going on up in Kalkaska. Oh, that's a little overcast today, but a busy day on the farm. Got a lot of stuff going on, new equipment getting installed. Our new building is open and up and running with plants, so we're, Congratulations. Uh, we're pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah, now you're saying some wonderful cake crasher that's going to redemption bags that's going on right now, too. So, yep, uh, that's happening right behind me. Yeah, that's getting a, a very, very uh, uh, welcome response uh, from, from the people. Oh, good. So, yeah, I'm excited about that one. Uh, but, uh, Tim, Tim Adams over at Maynard, and uh, we're really excited to have Tim on. He's the, uh, he's the CPA first and foremost, but he's the director, principal. Um, and also is the cannabis uh, niche leader over at Maynard, and he's been uh, an accountant for 34 years, and I've uh, been doing it a long time, and I know we're going to ask Tim, you know, uh, a little bit about himself, background, um, but I'm really excited to hear about right off the bat is like Maynard's journey into cannabis, because, uh, you know, we, with Tom and Kevin, we, we're used to getting kicked out of banks, we're used to being called names, we're used to, you know, people shun us, you know, a decade ago, and every time somebody would come and say, we're going to do cannabis, it's like such a big deal, <laughs> it's a big deal, we remember it, so um, I always like hearing why, and, um, you know, and it's just a, a great example of how cannabis and ancillary businesses and, and acceptance, so Tim, thanks for being on, please tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, let's get into that story. All right. Well, as you as you can tell, the longer you're in this uh, CPA profession, the more titles they give you and things to tack on <laughs> the back of your name. So, um, but uh, I, I was born and raised in Jackson, Michigan. Uh, Maynard Kastarison's, uh main office is here in Lansing, Michigan. So I didn't uh, end up too far from home. Went to Michigan State University and and uh, stayed in the area. So we're as as my wife and I always would say, we're we're far enough away from home. We can't just show up unannounced, but uh, close enough we can get to everybody if we need to. So, um, and now that our kids are all grown, and uh, I'm actually a grandfather, uh, so I know how that feels now. I'm I'm on the other end of that spectrum. So that's how <laughs> life progresses. A um, little bit about uh, Maynard Kasterson. We're a full service accounting firm. We're about 145 people uh, spread around actually now in the country because of the COVID. Uh, we, we've got people based in Colorado, uh, North Carolina. Um, just recently lost somebody who was in the Oregon area, I believe. But uh, it's one of the interesting side, uh, <clears throat> side effects, if you will, in the business world is it's expanded our geography from uh, uh, Lansing and Grand Rapids area. Um, you know, we have a, a small office in Toledo also, but uh, 
for the most part, uh, we still are Lansing based and it was kind of in the middle of the state. So we're in a good location for this industry in Michigan. And uh, it's uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting industry and, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So um, I know you wanted me to share a little bit about how we got to the decision um, yeah. to get into cannabis. And, and uh, <clears throat> interesting as it, uh, <clears throat> as it was, um, I was approached by a longtime client who had a very successful business and they sold the, their business and uh, he said, I want to get into this uh, industry. Do you want to go along? And I, I said, well, I've got a few partners I got to check with first, uh, but I'm in because I know you're a good business person and uh, you know, I know you'll be a success and, and I'm very comfortable working with you. And I'd been working with them for about 22 years at that point. So in 2016, um, we kind of moved forward and it, 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 it kind of started slowly. Uh, I did go to the partner group, the board of directors, and I said, um, are we going to be willing to do this? And I can't say that everybody around the room raised their hand immediately. There was a little indigestion, I think. It might have been right after lunch. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, there was a little concern and, and um you know, even with our association here in Michigan and, and our licensing, that was a concern. Um, we've been assured, you know, over the years, though, that's that's been, you know, Michigan's accepting of it from uh, the state level. Uh, licenses and everything else were, you know, we're okay as long as we're working with people that are um, that are vetted through the, the MRA or in that process of getting, uh, getting vetted through the MRA. So... Um, and it's just been fun from there and it's taken off. So we've, we, and we, and I do know that, uh, yes, when we got into the industry, it was fun to hear people were excited to have us. And, uh, it was exciting to, uh, it was, it was very exciting to, to be welcome like we were. So it was, it was, it was good for both sides. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, also real happy, uh, you guys are members of the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. We're all, uh, uh, big supporters of that. And that's where, uh, you know, Tim and, uh, the other Tim and uh, and Dave were up there last year. Mm. I know they had a great time, and uh, you know, so did, yep. so did all of us. So we appreciate. I that heard that his well. name is Dancing Dave, is what I'd heard. So I'm not sure if that's true, but um, it I, is. I've not seen videos. So oh well, <laughs> well, if you come this year, I'm sure you'll see. <laughs> I'm, yep, I'm sure. I'll make sure I have my phone on with my camera too. <laughs> hey Tim, this is Kevin over at True Cannabis. Um, Hi, Kevin. You know, we good um you know we appreciate you guys making the decision to go ahead and and uh, work with cannabis operators and then to go ahead and join the micia and and support us even further that that's great of you guys to have done um i want to kind of just hop right into it on uh and talk a little bit about 280e with us um i do own uh, a portion of a dispensary and a cultivation and i know that there's complications when it comes to deductions with the dispensary and with the grow and there's there's uh openings to deduct somewhere along that line so maybe you could talk to our listeners a little bit about that sure well 280e was uh i believe it was in the early 80s that came into being on the on the uh, internal revenue code the you know th this it's the simplest code section i think there is there's no regulations behind it but it basically says if you're trafficking in schedule one or schedule two um substances uh, narcotics you're prohibited from taking ordinary and necessary business deductions um, constitutionally, um, gross income is, is basically what you're taxed on, but gross income is defined as the, the, the sale less the cost of the product that you, um, that you paid for. And then your gross, what we would call gross profit in our, in our world, that essentially in, in simple terms is your taxable income. 
So, so the issue is what's properly allocable to cost of goods sold. Anything below that, when you're in the cannabis industry at this point, it's still Schedule One. It's going to be limited and not going to be able to deduct those deductions. So, so the the the, the rub is, for instance, if you is a good simple example. If you have two hundred thousand in gross receipts, a hundred thousand into your cost, you got a hundred thousand dollar gross profit. Take a thirty percent tax rate. That's your tax. Where if I had another hundred thousand in ordinary necessary business expenses below that, my marketing, my my uh, you know various uh, backroom office expenses, things like that, add up to hundred thousand, I'd have zero taxable income. So you can see, just in that simple example. You're paying thirty thousand dollars in taxes. Um, somebody in a different industry is paying no tax. So that's that's in simple terms. Um, so it's meant to be prohibitive. Um, it's not focused at the cannabis industry itself. It's 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 focused at drug trafficking, which currently under the federal law is defined as it, cannabis fits into that definition of Schedule One. So probably a simple fix if they want to make that change at the federal level um it just be delisting it off schedule one and it would drop out of that code section would no longer be applicable so easily fixed uh not 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 as easily to talk about fixing it not as easy obviously to get it uh get it done legislatively but uh that's that's really the um that that's really 280 in a nutshell so very prohibitive as intended that way because you know, the federal government felt like, well, they shouldn't benefit from keeping good book and books and records if they're trafficking in an illegal substance. So that's that's the roots of it. And uh, and I believe there's actually a case that, uh, that caused the reaction of 280 uh, where somebody who was in some illegal activities, um, they kept really good books and records. So when they went after their taxes, they uh, weren't able to do anything about it. And Congress was uh, appalled by that. So that that's where that's where the <laughs> whole thing came into being so you know fast forward you know this many years forward and um you know you've got a whole industry pretty much more than half the states um have some form of legal cannabis um so i think it's just a matter of time i think the time is short but um it's is crystal ball as to when that's going to be but the, it, and and i think the, the other thing you have to realize it's not just the irs code it's all federal regulation. I mean, so even unraveling years and years and years of, of rules, um, it's going to take more time than just saying, you know, Congress is saying, well, it's no longer Schedule One. You're going to have to have every agency revisit their rules. It happened. It happened with hemp, and it still is because that that came off in the Farm Bill a couple of years ago, and uh, once that was delisted off of that, everybody said, well, that's it's simple now. Hemp is legal. We can produce the CBD. It wasn't that simple because then you had every other agency saying, wait a minute, we've got regulations that you have to, we have to adjust. And, and I think they're still working through that. And not my purview, but um, <clears throat> articles I've read and things. Yeah, it seems yeah. like at the federal level, there's a lot of discussion happening around cannabis, obviously. And it's, of course, the it's the hip issue with politicians for, for the most part. You know, a lot of states coming online. And, uh, you know, the Safe Banking Act, which is great in and of itself, doesn't do anything about 280E. And as a cannabis business owner, 280E is probably the most prohibitive thing that we have to deal with. Um, it, it's the reason why provisioning centers have to charge so much for product. It's the reason why we have to charge a certain amount to make our margins work. And that's money that could be going into wages. It could be going into 401ks. 
uh, reinvestment. It could be community outreach, sure. all those things. And I don't know if people really realize that until you get into it and you get a proper CPA involved and they're like, oh, hold, pump the brakes. You may be making all of this money, but actually <laughs> you can't deduct much of it. Uh, and, you know, it's the past few years have been really eye-opening in that. And it seems like uh, unless we get things um, legalized at the federal level, at least Schedule 3, but that just seems really silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question also is, do you know if companies that sell Schedule 2 um, drugs like morphine, if you produce morphine as a pharmaceutical company, the proceeds from your morphine sales, are those schedu- are those subject to 280E because they're I- a Schedule 2 drug? I actually don't know the answer to that. Uh, that's, that's Nobody's not, been able to answer that question yeah. for me. I, I would I would say that uh, my my guess would be there's some sort of carve out somewhere in the in the world, but uh, that's really a legal question beyond my sure, of course, uh, understanding. Right. Just sending yeah. it out into the universe, I guess. At this point. Yeah, that's a that's a real good point, Tom. Because like, uh, and what I've been hearing people talk, and you think about it, like they're you'd be like, oh, the federal government is going to want to legalize it now to get the tax revenue. Well. You think about it, the federal government's getting a hell of a tax revenue already from this from 280E right now, and like maybe if, when it's legalized, they get a little less uh, less of a cut. Um, uh, there's so there's that angle of it, but um, I wanted to ask you, um, Tim, uh, sure. because uh, you brought something up when we were chatting uh, yesterday. Uh, that's really uh, fascinating. You guys, uh, you guys do uh, software as far as the accounting, and you have mm-hmm. a great program, but. Uh, um, you brought up a point about QuickBooks that it's the first I heard about it, and I mentioned it yesterday and got some responses from from, pe- from some people. So maybe you want to tell us what's going on, and uh, it's eye-opening because most people we know use QuickBooks. Yeah, I mean, most small businesses uh, in any industry, they, they start out, and in this day and age, you're, you're just, you know, immediately out of the gate. You're pretty much, uh, you know, using a software package to do your accounting. Um, the, you know, and I haven't seen anything directly on this, but, um, but, but as far as their payroll module, um, you know, if they find out you're in the, in this industry, uh, they'll, they'll ask you to leave the platform and, uh, and the rumor has it and it, it, I've seen it a couple different places and in some cases it's been competitors. So, but I, I, but I think there's some truth to it. They're also looking now at auditing their QuickBooks account, their clients, especially their online version, their cloud version um and potentially removing those from from that platform if um if they deem you're in cannabis and uh and they haven't they haven't come around to that now it's not a slam on quickbooks it's just it's just their um it's it's their policy and uh, you know they're working through that much like the banks are and some banks are coming quicker to the table than others um so so there is there is products out there that are you know open to working with the industry um probably a little more robust than quickbooks but uh but at the same time uh a little more secure in the fact that you're you know you're not going to get locked out uh you know on short notice um would you share some of those yeah, what's the one that you guys have been specializing in? We we uh, we offer a product called Sage Intact. It's cloud-based, um, very well very uh, well designed, works well with uh, vertical integration, uh, vertically integrated cultivators all through to the dispensary level. Um, the, the main advantage to that is there's you can basically set up each each of those either as separate companies or um, you know as separate divisions. 
and you can really get your accounting all the way through the the stream once we set that up for you once our consultants and, and don't ask me to get too detailed on the technology i'm a tax guy by nature so uh but i can but i can tell you that uh, people that are using the product in the industry are very happy with it um it's a little more costly than quickbooks so i i, I you know i understand when people start out uh quickbooks is uh you know it's very affordable um and we're not trying to scare people away from it just trying to point out that there's there's some you know rumors out there so we don't necessarily tell you you have to get off of it but as, as you grow your company and, and usually what happens is as i tell clients i said when the headaches get big enough then you're it's time to switch out of something to something a little more robust and that's that's really where the where's your pain point i guess is uh, what really drives that and and so we're, we're working with a number of uh, very large vertical uh, multi-location um, so you can really drill down into the data once it's set up and for a business owner it, it'll they'll set up customized dashboards so you can kind of you can come in and see the executive summary of uh, whatever it is you want to measure or whatever you're if you're in the production side you want to see production metrics it'll give you that if you're running the overall company it'll you know it'll give you that too as far as whatever it is you need to measure uh, usually cash flow is a pretty important one for uh, for any business yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I can, uh, just real quick, Ryan, I just wanted to touch on the QuickBooks thing. Um, you know, as a business owner, I've had QuickBooks for about six years, and I got to tell you, their their customer service is terrible. I've spent hours and hours and hours on the phone with them. Um, if you're a business owner and you're thinking about going with QuickBooks or integrating a better system like Tim was talking about, I would I would I would decide to, to go with something different. Um, you know, uh, they they hardly have any management on staff. They have zero communication between departments, uh, and it's quite complicated. And so uh, I just wanted to point that out. I don't know, Tim, if you've run into any of that. Well, in fairness, I would actually tell you that uh, uh, we have a number of people that are QuickBooks certified, and uh, we we can work with you on that. I can plug us for that. So. Um, if you're having trouble with their, um, you know, their their service provider, we can we can help solve solve those problems. We have people that come in and work in that software all the time. They're they're again they're certified under the QuickBooks, and um, you know you're working with one person one on one directly. So I think it's more you're not just getting whoever answers the phone every, every time you call. You know who you're talking to every time. Yeah, no, uh, that's good. I'm making me think on that because. Uh, we all know the pain when you when we lose our banks and all the headaches that cause and you know never again we say and then for some of us never again you know we get to use dart bank now and, uh, and others so uh, excited about that one thing that happened like last fall um that happened last fall was i think a lot of the first mra audits started happening tim Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then, so we went into that, but then uh, you, what's coming probably next is, and it's going to come, is the IRS, like the federal audits eventually. So um, tell us a little experience on the, on the Michigan audits. And then I know there's a, there's a, a CPA out of, uh, I believe, Colorado, Nick Richards, you mentioned, that's got theories on an how attorney, those are going to go. Because actually those attorney, are, yeah. Oh, attorney, because those are going to yeah. happen, and uh, I know you're getting prepared for uh, for people. Well, it's it, in an IRS exam is um, you know the the it's the one industry where we tell people prepare for it. It's going to happen. Um, anybody else in any other industry, we you know they say you know what's my chances of getting audited, and you say I don't know it'll happen someday, but I don't know when that'll be. We've really told clients from the that get go, and really that a lot of a lot of that goes right back to your accounting system. If you set up a strong accounting system on the front end, you know, the back end of that is where the tax return is done and from that information. And so if you have strong data, 
um, you know, that that's really the key is, you know, it, it, the IRS comes in, they're going to look at your records, they're going to look at the 280 issue, they're going to look at any other issue that any other client or any other uh, taxpayer would be looked at. But, um, you know, what, what, what our goal is, is to hopefully have it a situation where we can provide the data proactively versus, um, you know, where I've sat in years and years with clients and audits and they, well, I'm going to see this, this log or this book and the client goes, okay, well, let me, give me the weekend to put that together finally. And it's like, well, that's two years ago. You were supposed to do that as you go. So we really advise people to prepare as if you're going to get audited from day one. Um, and if it never happens, good for you. If it does, a lot less pain, uh, pain in the, on the back end uh, to have to deal with that. As far as an internal revenue service audit, what the process really is, is, you know, an exam agent's going to come in, they have a supervisor, you're going to work with, you know, hopefully through your CPA or attorney. Um, you know, once the exam is complete, um, you have rights to appeal, you have rights to go to tax court. Um, you know, as far as CPA firms, we can, we can take you through the appeals process for the most part. Um, once you're out of an appeals is an internal IRS function where a separate individual, usually a more experienced agent, been there a long time, looks at your case, looks at your circumstances, listens to both sides, kind of like a mediation, if you will. Um, but they do represent the Internal Revenue Service first and foremost. So they're really looking at the case from a perspective of what is you know, what is our chances if we go forward to tax court of, of winning or losing this case? And, um, and so there, there's, there's a preponderance of the evidence, so to speak, uh, that they go through. So it's not necessarily, again, if they have bad facts on the IRS side and you have good facts, you know, you're probably going to be okay, but it is a little bit of a negotiation. After that, you probably need to get legal counsel involved. Uh, the attorney I'm referring to, Nick Richards, I've attended many of his, uh, uh, seminars. He used to work at the Internal Revenue Service, so he knows the people there, and he now works in private sector. And you know, he, he has interest, interesting uh, theories, um, you know, in general because he, his 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 recent one was, you know, we I file for tax court right away and skip appeals because they'll force it back to appeals. But then once they go to tax court, for instance, the issues are set. It comes out, comes back from tax court because tax court will first thing you know ask is, has this been through appeals? And they say no. And they say, well, it needs to go through appeals. But now the issues have been frozen as those issues where theoretically in appeals, if you go there first, you could, you, you could have other issues be opened by the appeals, the officer potentially. I've not had that happen often, but uh, I've, I've done a number of appeals throughout my career. Um, but uh, this industry in Michigan, anyway, we haven't really had any experience with exams yet, but uh, they're, they're learning on the other end too. So the IRS is, they have specialists and they're gonna spread those people out to different states as, as, as time goes on. Just legalize it, take all that crap off the plate as far as, you know, all of the uh, unfair, um, unfairly weighted um, regulation and and cost and treating treating cannabis producers and resellers mm -hmm. that like they're handling like plutonium or something of that nature, <laughs> you know how are you know how are companies treated that produce right. alcohol? Well, in, in Michigan right now too, it's interesting because when you talk about Michigan, you know each each uh, you know MRA is is well established, but they're still gathering information and they're learning from things they've put out. And so there'll be changes for a number of years and how, uh, how the mar medical marijuana, you know, regulatory agency, um, you know, administers this area. But, the, but if you've got to look at it similar to what I was talking about with the hemp issue, 
each then department in the state that's touched by that has to come up with their own set of rules and, and how are we going to look at this treasury being probably the first one. And, and you know, they want to make sure they're collecting the correct amount of excise tax, sales tax. So there'll be auditing there that goes on that's independent of MRA. That's going to be the Department of Treasury. Um, they're just getting started down that road, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll kind of see where that goes. I, I think we're going to be involved in one of the early ones on that uh, here shortly. So um, without getting into specifics, but uh, uh, we'll see where that process goes. But uh, we've, you know, again, we've represented many clients. I've done that many client representations on sales tax audits and, and those type of things. And, and um, you know, we'll just, again, we'll just see where it goes. But the good news with Michigan is, is you're already legal. You're already accepted. The 280E issue doesn't apply to Michigan taxes. So you don't, you can bring those deductions back onto your Michigan return. Um, and so that, that does help a little bit on the tax side. And, that, and that's where I give Michigan credit. I mean, they are trying to uh, be, be friendly to the industry. They're welcoming the industry, but they're also gonna, they're gonna have their own rules and regulations and you better follow them. Hey Tim, talk to us a little bit about the um, the state audits that most of us went through uh, recently in 2020. Uh, they're going to be coming up again here in 2021. Um, you know, we've been vetted thoroughly uh, as uh, applicants to the state to be state licensed through the tax division. Um, we're constantly uh, under the microscope. We're uh, filing federal and state taxes. What's uh, what's the reason behind you think that the requirement to have the state audit and what is that? How does that different? than what we're already doing as far as what we've you know been submitting already well the mra the, the attestation function is what you're referring to and and uh again i'm not a i'm not i'm a tax guy not an audit person but we have people here than the team that do that but basically it's looking at transactions <clears throat> making sure that you're accounting for the transactions right i think their biggest motivation is are you reporting the right information to the state and metric and you know and they're and they're verifying that by by following transactions through your accounting system. Where it gets cumbersome is when you have multi-licenses uh, because each each license at this point has to have its own attestation. So if you've got eight licenses under you, you know, grow processing and, you know, six or seven dispensaries, you know, that's eight of those processes you have to go through. And then I think the other thing that's um, a little frustrating, maybe a little bit cumbersome right now, and we'll see how that works out over time, is depending on when you got your license initially, your your window for when that attestation is different. Uh, so there's about three or four different dates they've come out with recently and, and really go to the MRA site. They do have a lot of good information out there. If you wanna see, you know, if my li license falls in this date range, I got an attestation due on this date. And, and I would also say in fairness to us CPAs, please don't call us the day before it's due because it won't get done. Um, you'll be late. So. We prefer you to plan it well in advance. We can help you plan it. We can get you what, whatever, you know, we can get you the list of what we need to get from you and make the process as smooth as possible. But uh, it, we've had people get caught, um, have been late. And uh, so far they've been pretty, um, you know, within reason for giving, but, um, but that'll probably tighten up as things go forward because people can't say, well, I didn't know, um, you know, because it's new to everybody. So. I, I, that's just my opinion, but uh, but my opinion, you know, usually is pretty good educated opinion. So, so Tim, um, you know, with uh, with us trying to compete 
the regulated market with the black market and pricing being high. I know one of the focus of some of the industry groups are to try to eliminate some of the red tape. Um, is this one of those things that um, I know it's quite expensive. It's it's quite time consuming uh, to get it all together. Is this something that's absolutely necessary? I mean, is or is is it good enough that that uh, that we that we submit all our documentation or tracked constantly on seed to sale? Um, can't they, the state just do this on their end on a on a routine basis and 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 eliminate that expense to try to bring down the the cost? Um, you know, I think they, they could they could possibly get there someday. I think the I think the comfort level with um, having a third party independent CPA that they, they do that in other do that with other agencies. So that's something they know that's tried and true. Um, you're not you're not alone. So in this case, I wouldn't say the industry is being singled out. It's just it's just working through the new process. And of course, the MRA has to do whatever you know, whatever it is they want to measure, that's what the really a testation is. So if they want to add on the measurement of uh, something else, you could get more cumbersome. But if, um, you know, if they just say, look, we're going to come in, spot check you based on our system. And as long as things jive up, you know, we're, we'll be OK. That may that may happen down the road. But um, at this point, you just have to accept that as part of the cost of doing business and, and uh, just factor it in. How have you how have you um, how is your relationship with the MRA rent doing these at these AFS? Uh, statements for for companies because it has to be a third party um, to the well, CPA it, of yep. the, the company involved. There's nobody that's making any kind of management decisions, right? Um, so a third party, um, and it's a statement that uh, this, like you're saying, an attestation. Are you have you found that the state was prepared for these something that they explicitly asked for in an act? that um that they were prepared for these things when they started coming in we have had an interesting um experience on our end and i'd like to hear what your experience has been i think there's a lot of questions that come up um in the process right now because it hasn't normalized in the in, in even the mra side so i think i think you'll see over the next couple of years that things will normalize and as long as you fit within you know the parameters uh, they're they're learning too, so right. you know, in fairness, and so it's oh. um, they want to do the right thing for the industry as well as the state. So they have to kind of balance that, and um, you know, as far as the attestation goes, the one thing is, is independent CPA is, is right in the law, so you can't just say I'm going to do it myself and and uh, you know just hope that works. Um, you know, you could do it yourself, but it won't work. Trust right. me. But no. uh, you could try. Uh, but uh, you'll you'll go through the effort again anyway. So what what I would say is, and what we find is, is we get into the accounting assistance and some of that. And at some point, we you know we're acting as your CFO or even your accounting department in some cases. If we're doing that, we lose our independence. Right. We pride ourselves on having um, you know other CPA firms in the in the industry. Um, that that we can get you to. So we'll find you solutions. If we can't do it as a firm, and I think the other firms are kind of taking the same approach. Sure. We're trying to make that work so that our clients aren't uh, burdened as burdened as little as possible with it. But right. it, it, the expense of you know the expense and time is just it, it is what it is because we have we have to do certain procedures yeah. to meet the meet the standards. So that's all we're it's trying it's to an do. expensive and cumbersome. We've, we're going through our second one. We have had our medical mm -hmm. and we're going through our adult use. And uh, I mean, we're, we're totally used to building the plane while we're flying it. That's kind of been this whole thing That's since the way. beginning. And uh, but we have found that our independent CPA person that is pr um, producing the AFS for us has found that the MRA has been relying on our CPAs of people that we are paying to explain things or, or do things that's that's like an analyst 
could possibly should already know possibly i don't know that they're learning as we go along and uh, we're used to this process but it just seems to me like um if we could you know establish those those standards and those things before we start asking people for things would make a little bit more sense in my opinion well and i think i think that's where the industry and the micia for instance can come in and talk to the you know to the mra and it's it's really it's really a matter of I, I again I think they're trying to do the right thing if you know from whatever perspective they have so if you you know were to talk to them openly I think that you know the MRI to the industry to to owners like yourself they're very open to helping they and uh, just call them up and, and and ask them the why and it may not get you the, the first time in may not get you the answer but somewhere in that organization there's an answer provider and and um, you know, it'll get you the answer. I think that I think that's the one thing I've seen with our, our regulatory agency that's been positive is, is that you're not shut off from them, and, and you know they're open to they're open to listen and uh, learn. That's great to hear. Hey, hey, Tim. Any uh, I guess what you're able to share. I know there's confidentiality, but randomly, uh, any funny anecdotes, funny stories from the experience so far, like pitfalls people fell in, or successes, or anything like that well i think the the one you touched on earlier i was uh i'm i'm, I'm surprised by a, a number of times when i get a call and, and somebody will say you know i'll say well you know you've got to deal with a 280e and they'll go what's that and i'm thinking you know boy you know of all the of all the things you'd want to know your tax uh, situation you know that it's a it's an expense of the business it's a budget item it's usually a pretty good percentage of, of, of any budget item in your return but um to not have any um knowledge of it is is uh, sometimes a little and i'm not saying you have to know the ins and outs of it i'm saying just to even know that it exists um you know i think there um you know i think there's some it's interesting there because I just run into it everywhere I go, and and so to me it seems like well what you know, at least heard the concept, um, but it, it happens. Um, I'm surprised too at uh, sometimes even today how much there's still cash in the industry, and I think the Safe Banking Act will do a lot to to fix that both for the government. Uh, I think it's in their interest. I think it's in in the industry's interest, and quite frankly, it's a lot safer for your employees because you've got two things in your dispensaries that people want uh, that aren't necessarily good people, and that's cash, and then your inventory might be of interest to them also. So uh, that that's a little bit, uh, to me, that's a little bit uh, surprising that the cash is so, because there are enough banks out there now, I think it, it's expensive, but it's not because they're punishing the industry or anything it's because they have to meet the regulatory requirements to to be able to even do anything with you so it's not a it's not like they're trying to uh to take advantage of anything they're just they're just they have to go through more hoops and uh, uh the other thing that i find interesting is people are accepting large amounts of cash and they don't know there's a federal filing requirement regardless of whether you're in a legal or in illegal industry uh to let them know that you have a suspicious transaction that's defined as ten thousand dollars or more of cash mm -hmm. So if you want to learn the rules of that, the ins and outs, go to a car dealer, go to a bank. They certainly know them uh, because that it's it's intended to, you know, for primary for, for drug trafficking. So uh, the, the black market, uh, as, as, as Kevin referred to it, but uh, but but that's what it was there for. And so right now, if, if you're filing those forms, they're being inundated with them. And I don't know what they're doing with that because the volume's probably been up. I can't imagine the volume compared to what it was 10 years ago. Uh, it's not the IRS, it's the Department of Treasury, which is over the IRS, but uh, the IRS does administer that. And that's something in an audit that uh, be independent of, a, of an income tax exam. They're going to come in and say, well, you have your Form 8300s 
And uh, uh, if you go, what's that? That's probably not a good answer. So um, especially if you're still dealing in cash. Yeah, I remember the early days of this and, you know, you always hear about it and you just laugh about it and people be like, oh, no, you deposit $9,999. And then, like, people are saying, oh, dude, like, they're they're looking for that all day, too. And, like, you know, you, 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 you know you, things like that always work until enough people brag and then uh, they go, well, nope, we're changing the rules. So, no, there's there's yeah. serial deposits and there's all kinds of rules. And, I, and again, it's really a legal question. Anybody that has a concern with it based on what we just talked about reach out to your legal counsel and uh, you know, and ask them because, uh, because it's $10,000 per infraction. So uh, I believe that's what the penalty is, but it's, uh, it's, it's prohibitive. And I don't think they're very forgiving uh, on that. If uh, you know, if you get caught and you've got, uh, but you think about it, it adds up quick. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I just kind of thought about this because, you know, there's a lot of debate on, you know, there's the other association out there that's looking to, you know, uh, kind of go after the caregivers and all that, that issue. And um, so thinking about that, um, you know, look at, you know, we got, I got two caregivers here. I used to be, uh, I'm not, I'm not a licensed grow, but we got two caregivers here that know that side of it and came through, but not only do they have to make it up self-funded, and make it there um, with employees and all this extra, you know, licensing fees to start off are crazy. Now they got 280E on top of it. So like, as far as people out there that are caregivers that, you know, growing great flower, that's great. But to make it to this next level, there's so many pitfalls and so many obstacles. So like, that's something to think about when, you know, say you say I grow 12 great plants in my basement and I kick the crap out of uh, these guys, I could do that. So it's a, it's a little yeah. bit more difficult. <laughs> Yeah, and that's probably but, uh, the downside of, of more regulation, you know, and legality. Um, it, it, you know, there's the there's a, every side of a coin has two sides. So, uh, that, yes, that's that's true. Um, I think I think there though, if you if you have a good product and you can bring it to, to the industry, they will find room for you somehow. You know, I think the sure. micro business concept. We didn't really talk about that today. I think that's that's um, starting to I think get a little traction. We do work with a few people in that area, but that's an interesting concept, and I think that uh, that that had some has some promise for somebody trying to break through that barrier, so to speak. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I know next uh, I know we're gonna have you back on uh, next quarter, and uh, there's there's gonna be more movement on micros by then, so that's gonna be a, a great topic. Um, sure. But man, I tell you what. Uh, Time's flying. Uh, you know, you, you have uh, you t so we had insurance on with Mike Stein. We have a main around with accounting, and uh, what you would think is not as, as as most exciting. I've never I've never seen these guys so ready to ask questions today. So some some great free advice okay. <laughs> and some venting. I appreciate being on, Tim. But uh, we always right. let everyone say goodbye and uh, wrap up. So uh, Kevin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, Tim, thanks for being on the show. We pre appreciate your support. And um, it's one of those things that, like you said, uh, or Ryan had mentioned, you know, like people don't really think about that when they're laying out their business plan as to how things are going to operate. And it's enlightening to hear some of the back end stuff. I've been in this industry for, you know, going on 20 years and, and really been only licensed now for the last three. Uh, but I'm learning every day and, and there's a lot to take in and, and we need people like you. And so so thank you very much. Um, real quick before we, we let you go, uh, let me tee it up for you. Uh, how can people get in touch with Timmy uh, Tim over at uh, at, uh, Kisterian, uh, at Maynard Kisterian? Well, our website is uh, Maynard Kisterian, or com. So M-A-N-E-R-C-P-A.com. My email is T-A-D-A-M-S. Uh, MainerCPA.com. Uh, 
again, you can call uh, our, our main line is 517-323-7500. I have my direct line. You can find me online at our website. Um, I'm one of the one of the principals at the firm. Um, so you'll be able to find my profile and I believe my all my direct contact there. You can probably find me on gonna, LinkedIn too. I wasn't gonna ask you, when's the last time you updated your picture? <laughs> I'm doing that in about 20 minutes. All right, cool. <laughs> not, not kidding. All right, cool. Tom, <laughs> Tom they, how they, about they, uh, they must have looked okay. at my picture and said, There's, that's not him. So uh, they, they told me I, I kind of like being 32 forever. <laughs> oh, man. It's the beauty of the internet. Hey, Tim, yeah. thank you so much for right. being on the show, man. I never thought, like Ryan was saying, I never thought I was going to have this much interest in talking about you know accounting and taxes in my life or anything i got into this to grow cannabis and spend most of our time talking about things like insurance and and taxes and i get really fired up and i appreciate you answering our questions and uh sure keep fighting the good fight for us man all right thank you so tim uh thanks for being on obviously you know there's a lot of industry professionals that listen to the show any any final thoughts for them or anything you'd like to say before we take off I, I would I would say the the, the point of today's show was uh, find a good CPA and, and work with them, um, communicate with them because that's probably the biggest uh, the biggest thing is we you know if we don't communicate back and forth um, we don't know how to solve a problem through a crystal ball so we we need to know if you have issues um, our approach has always been at Maynard to if we don't have the solutions within our walls we'll go find you an answer and we'll find you a solution provider so um, just talk to us and uh, you know. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, tell us what we need to know and, and we'll give you the best advice we possibly can. Oh, I, uh, I love it. Learned, uh, learned actually quite a bit today and that's always exciting. That's one of the benefits of uh, having a podcast, get to talk to all these, uh, these uh, people that are leaders in the field. So I really appreciate you coming on. And like you said, we really appreciate uh, Maynard jumping in and the support of the MICIA and deciding that, you know, like uh, that—that's the group you want to support. Um, we're we're really big on it, and we're excited. And you know, uh, just uh, anyone out there—that's the big thing. You're in it for the long haul. Like, don't sacrifice uh, some what you think are going to be some short dollars now uh, for down the road, because uh, we got to be prepared. So, with that, really appreciate it, everyone. Great show, and I'll see everybody next week. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks, Tim. The Smoking Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.